Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... This episode of the Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Picture Book Summit. Do you dream of creating picture books that'll change a child's life? I sure hope so. Learn how to find your voice at Picture Book Summit, a world-class online conference for picture book authors and illustrators. Join them on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020, for keynotes from their award-winning best-selling lineup, including author-illustrator Sophie Blackall, author Lisa Klein-Ransom, and author-illustrator Peter H. Reynolds. Don't delay. Deadline to register is September 30th. Go to picturebooksummit.com slash winner. I liken it, too, to a lot of what a lot of my peers in medicine were going through, you know, when this all started and still go through. There's so so much that you have to think about and especially if you have a family at home and so I hear you about all that stress that's there and it's unfortunate that a lot of it gets misconstrued in social media I think this is the children's book podcast episode number 624 I'm your host Matthew Winner we're on patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C Winner if you want to support the show Lots of good bonus content and a book club there. You can also leave a review of the show on the app you're using to listen right now. That helps a ton. Today I'm joined by Rashmi Bismarck. Finding Alm is Rashmi's debut picture book. It's illustrated by Morgan Huff and published by Mango and Marigold Press. In the story, Anu explores the mantra Alm with her much-loved grandfather Apupa. Rashmi was drawn to writing about the Southeast Asian experience and reflects on the own voice's responsibility in communication through art in a picture book. I found it fascinating to learn about the balance between leaving space for the illustrator in a picture book as an author and the importance of communicating details in order to assure, as an own voice's author, an authentic representation of Anu and her Indian American family. This attention to detail extends all the way to how Anu's family members are sitting as they center on Om. There's so much more to share, but I'm going to let my conversation with Rajmi do the talking. Please welcome my guest, Rashmi Bismarck, author of Finding Om. Hi, everybody. My name is Rashmi Bismarck. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm a mom, 
I'm also a physician by training. My specialty is preventive medicine and public health. And clinically, I teach mindfulness-based programming for patients, for caregivers, as well as to fellow healthcare providers. And I have recently made a shift in my career and I'm exploring authoring and writing for children's literature. And my debut picture book is called Finding Ohm. And I'm really excited to talk to you more about it. Uh, I am really excited to talk to you more about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As if Rajmi, we haven't been talking a lot already. Um, that's always my favorite is is keeping that from listeners that we get to have a, a conversation before the conversation. But the uh, the context in which we're recording this conversation, the timing, all of that, I believe, couldn't be more perfect. I feel we were saying before the the books given the individual's circumstances end up taking on new meaning. Right. You never know how your book will become something to some child. You just can't anticipate that. But to know that that we are in a time when many, many children and adults alike are focusing on mindfulness, on meditation, on self-care, and that, that you are stepping into children's literature from that world uh, and sharing stories from that experience, I think, is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And I'm so grateful that you chose to share them with all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You know, I, uh, as I started this journey, your podcast was one that my publisher um, at Mango Marigold Press, Shailaja, had mentioned. And so I've been listening to you for over two years oh, now. Oh, no. So it's been so- <laughs> I'm glad you didn't tell me that ahead of time. Now I'm like all flushed. <laughs> It's it's been so lovely um, to also learn from you and all of the fellow authors in this space. Um, I feel really privileged to be entering this community, and I'm so excited about everything that's to come. So thank you. We, um, I think that as you've seen with this podcast over the years, but as we see in children's literature, we have thousands of books published each year. But I I come from that place of believing that each of those books is needed by a reader somewhere. So how great that uh, so many people are sharing truly so many different stories. Um, and and the folks at Mango and Marigold Press are, are one, some of my favorite people. Uh, and they know <laughs> that. I know that Sailor knows that. <laughs> but also, um, I, I think that to have a small press working as hard as, as they do um, to, to move forward with focus and to bring a focused voice or voices to readers. I think that that's one, a wonderful thing. And two, it's it. I, I hope it's actually driving more parents and teachers to be aware of different publishers. And I think that that's a really neat thing. So I, when I grew up, or, or even when I started as a teacher, my experience of books was just what what did they have in a, a book fair flyer? Or what did they have on the shelf at a bookstore? Uh, but to be in a place where we're starting to become more familiar with publishers and what the voice of those publishers are is a neat thing. And for you, Rashmi, to have a book 
with this publisher, uh, I think is a really beautiful thing too, because it fits, it fits with the other things that they're doing. I wonder, I wonder if you knew of them ahead of time. And so then it would have been Barat Babies. But if you approached them with this story idea because of that, or if, how, how did that connection happen? Because it, it, it does feel like this is exactly the place for your book. Yeah, I mean, I had known about them because like many South Asian American moms, you know, you want to buy books for your kids where they can maybe see themselves in it, you know, so I I had already had a few books from their collection within our picture books. And, you know, when I had, so actually Finding Home is not the first script I wrote. I'd actually written one before that. And as I was looking for, um, it was about another mantra from the South, from the Hindu tradition. And as I was thinking about where I would want this to be published and, and, you know, where this might get a lot of love and attention, one place was definitely Bharat Babies. And um, I had also at the time been reaching out with through to friends and family. And um, my cousin had put me in touch with Sheetal Shet, who's the author of Always Anjali. And friend of the podcast, Sheetal Shet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just speaking with her about her experience alone, I mean, sold me on wanting to publish with Bart Oh, cool. So, yeah, I mean, she she spoke so fondly of how they became like a family. And, you know, especially because this is the first time I'm doing anything in this realm. You know, I yeah. was used to writing for academia, not for kids, you know. And I, I knew that I needed a lot of help with growing my voice as well. And so... Um, it just felt like the right place. And so I kind of stalked them and sent them some emails and um, child Joe's really open to reading what I had to share. And so they, they looked at my first script and they're like, you know, she was like, well, there's, there's definitely so much potential here. Um, but, you know, and I knew this too, there, there was just like a lot that I needed to know about picture books. Like I didn't mm-hmm. realize that it was 32 pages for a picture book or those simple things that everybody else knows, I guess, but, but well, coming I mean, from a different, how often do we, up? how often do we take apart a picture book to be able to understand right. that? <laughs> and coming from a whole different profession, I just didn't know. True. And so, um, she was like, Oh, you know, work, work with our, our editor, senior editor, and, um, let's see what, what unfolds here. And so, um, I had worked with Amy Marinville, who, um, has been with, with Barth Babies and she's published a few books with them as well. And, um, and just with working with her, she kind of gave me a kids lit 101 on picture books, which I sure. so cherish learning so much about, about it from her. Um, you know, in like little things, like I didn't realize uh, how much say that I might have as an author with art direction. And so little things like that just allowed me to really think broadly about, what I wanted to share. And as we were going through my first manuscript, I had, I'd actually written this introduction for, for parents about meditation um, and mindfulness. And Amy was like, you know, this, this could be the first book. This should actually be the book that comes before this one. And I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. how would I make this didactic (laughs) intro into a book? Um, And it just happened that that summer we, um, the girls, we were living in the UK at the time. We had come back home to this house where I am now in upstate New York. Um, it was also the first summer after my dad had 
past where we were kind of all here together in the house and just being around my memories here with him and the house and um you know the book just kind of unfolded within the matter of a of a week actually um for finding ohm and you know over time of course you keep working on it and polishing it but um but yeah like i i have loved i have loved the the family feeling that has been here with Barth babies now mango and marigold press um that that sort of it's because it is a niche publisher and they are looking to represent the South Asian diaspora, there's just a lot of care that goes to every decision. And I really appreciate that. I think that, I mean, you're, you're opening up a lot of, of topics here. And I do want to make sure we talk directly about the book, but I think also that, um, well, first I think about the difference in writing for academia and writing for children. And I think that it's not surprising to know how challenging it is to write for children because you you are given just a, a a much smaller amount of real estate to be able to communicate <laughs> to them, and also you must constantly be engaging them. Whereas I have to assume in the world of academia, you're not thinking about page turns and is my audience still interested in what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> the, right, and you're definitely <laughs> not thinking about. Uh, I guess you're thinking about perhaps charts and graphs and tables, but not the illustrations. And, How will these illustrations, all- where can I yeah. not say words so that my illustrations can do some of the talking? No. So that they can story, yes. I, I think that um, it doesn't surprise me when, when, when folks mention how how complicated it is, how complex it is to write for children, because children are complex. And I think that for all that we want to say to children, it takes a very special amount of, of focus and care to make those words just right on the page. I've written a number of picture books, uh, picture book manuscripts, I should say, none of them published. Um, and, and that doesn't surprise me because writing picture books is really, really hard. And I have read professionally, I've read picture books for 15 years in my career. And, um, and still it's, it's, it's a skill that, that takes the right amount of of balance and exploration. And I also think so often when we write picture books, we're told to leave space for the illustrator, which I think is absolutely true. But you brought up something, Rashmi, that I want to lean into a little bit, which is that uh, it is my understanding or thought or, or our observation that particularly in terms of writing an own voices picture book, you actually, to a degree as the author, need to have some sort of say or guidance or interaction with that illustrator in order to make sure that what is accurate, at least accurate to your experience, is represented on the page, not just in your words, but also in the illustrations. It's important that that both of those components sort of get it right on the page. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, 100%. There are a few things in there that I just wanted to mention about this skill of picture, picture book writing. I mean, just learning about the whole process, I have so much deep respect for authors and illustrators. Um, this is a skill that I'm still learning. You know, this book, some might say, is a little bit wordy, but a lot of thoughts has gone into everything that's been included. Um, 
part of my academic brain, you know, also there's a lot of science around meditation within South Asian philosophy, uh, within yoga philosophy. And so a lot of the things that are included in this book are very intentional in order to be in alignment with that. Um, and so though, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious that um, there's still a lot that I need to learn, learn personally about being focused with my words. It's really, um, it's really been a wonderful growing space for me to learn how to be able to balance that knowledge that I want to pass along, along with um, that, that beauty and skill of, of being concise with your words, you know, so it is, I, it is such a skill. And in terms of the art, um, absolutely. I, I was writing pages actually to describe some of these spreads that <laughs> I wanted to um, and, you know, one thing, too, that was really important for me, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but this is my family that's depicted in the book. Oh. Um, and so this is my father um, and my children and my and and I don't think I mentioned to you either before when we were chatting. Um, my husband is not of South Asian origin. He actually grew up in Zimbabwe and. Um, moved to Chicago when he was in high school. So I'm married to a black man and we are raising uh, interracial children. And so I really wanted to be sure that um, that they were depicted in, in a way that does them justice, you know? So um, I was really particular about everything from skin tone to describing the hair to describing, um, you know, clothing that that's being worn or, or fabrics and textures that might be in the house and um my our illustrator morgan huff was just exquisite she we would be on the phone all the time you know talking about things i she wanted me to share pictures you know so that she really also got to have a feel of of who all of us are um and including my dad especially because um writing this book was as i mentioned we i wrote it when I was home that first summer and it was so healing for me. So this whole process had actually been incredibly healing and she understood that and really felt like she wanted to portray my dad in the way ways that I had talked to her about him and in ways that really honored him. So I'm so grateful to her for the magic she has <laughs> provided with being able to, you know, take my descriptions and turn them into just such beautiful spreads here on this this book. Hey there, book nerds. You know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the stories you love? Having those stories in your home, your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of all the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story. It sounds like you both work together really well in hearing one another and seeing one another and in, in, in experiences in your family and your childhood. Uh, I uh, had a note to mention about the entire family, the depiction of the entire family on the glossary page, 
being um, different skin tones, being different, um, just looking different, but existing together and how just those simple, subtle acts, but acts of intention, I think carry so much weight in a picture book. And they, I I think that many, many people working in Kidlet uh, are being told that we need diversity. We cannot get by in your picture books. There's no excuse to not have diverse representation in picture books. As a librarian who works in front of children, there are... Hmm, how do I say this respectfully? There are many <laughs> times when I when I see a book that it feels to me as if there is a checklist being checked off for representation. Mm-hmm. And that I understand the value of individuals seeing themselves and wanting as many kids as possible to see themselves. But also, I think that the importance of having your story have a, a roots in truth in mm-hmm. in what a classroom is or what a family is uh, or is not. I think it's okay to lean into to those qualities. I think of some picture books where uh, in a classroom, every single child is either a different religion or different um, ethnicity. And I think, well, that feels a little like maybe it's true in some cases, but, but often I feel like don't kids often pair up with folks that they feel like they have something in common with either by gender or experience or religious background or something. And when you, when you don't provide that in a classroom, then you're, you're, you're not necessarily providing that connection for children. So I don't know. I think it's a confusing thing that I, that I, that goes on in my brain as I read. And I have to think every child that reads any book is constantly processing the art in that way. So this is all to come back and say that the thoughtfulness that went into this story, Rashmi, is evident. And I think it's so, so beautiful for me to realize now that that this is your father and that you are drawing from uh, either an emotional place of thinking about him or maybe in some cases some some actual experiences from childhood. It makes it such a beautiful homage, but also I read the book and felt connected to it, um, not even knowing that this was uh, in some ways autobiographical for you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You know, with I, I hear what you're saying. You know, there is something to when a book depicts a lived experience versus, like you were saying, sometimes when it seems like it's being forced. Um, and I appreciate that. And you know, I, I love that you had brought attention to this last spread and not as I actually have the book right here and I'm looking at it. I'm like oh yeah you know there is this diversity of us which is our our family um but not only that actually so many more little intentional things on this page alone we depicted everyone sitting in different ways because I think there's yeah. often <laughs> there's often this um perception that when you meditate you must be in some like fantastic lotus position and with your legs perfectly crossed and sitting straight with your hair blowing in the wind or something you know but in reality there's many ways to practice meditation and here in our family for example my my dad's hips weren't great so he always sat on a stool my mom has had knee replacement so she can't bend her knees you know my husband likes to sit a different way than than I do so really there's just so many ways to 
find your seat for a practice. So um, even diversity there, I guess, within that page. Absolutely diversity there. Diversity even in, I think even about like textiles that you're wearing. And when I've meditated before, there have been times when I... I couldn't get my mind off of the way something was rubbing against my neck or something like that. Showing yeah. these, these individuals as comfortable or showing the youngest sister peeking. I think that all <laughs> of that is just, it's, it's all real. But before we go any deeper, why don't, why don't I ask you, if you don't mind, just to share a little bit about finding Om, share a, 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 a book talk. If someone was picking up this book for the first time, what, what would they find here? Yeah, so um, this is a story of of my older daughter, Anu, as she explores the mantra Om with my dad, um, with her apupa. Apupa means um, grand, your maternal grandfather, so your mother's father, in the language of Malayalam, which is from Kerala. Kerala is a state in the southwest uh, tip of India, and that's where my parents are from. So Anu happens to come upon her grandfather as as he's doing his daily meditation and prayers and then she hears him chanting om and she gets a little curious about it and as the story unfolds uh, abupa shares with her the meaning of om and what a mantra is and sort of invites her on this sort of journey of self-study to kind of explore for herself what om might mean and so as the book progresses we see anu explore Om and different styles of actually meditation that she sort of falls upon on her own, also falling into experiences of uh, contacting her insight and sort of that sense of peacefulness and aliveness that's right there inside of her. Um, and um, along the way also showcases, like I was mentioning before, this intercultural family where in uh, South Asian and African family. So lots of little tidbits the story <laughs> you also show kids as kids do you mind if i read the first two pages to you yeah, go. this this is the way that I, I don't know your voice in writing it um and often we don't get to hear the author's voice in writing it so hopefully you'll read to us later too but as i read um here is the beginning of the story apupa apupa called anu why do you keep saying um do you have a question about something Hello, my Anu. Apupa <laughs> chuckled. I'm not saying um, I'm saying um. When chanted slowly, it makes the sounds um. <laughs> I like saying it, Apupa. Om, om, om. Anu felt the soft vibration of sounds fill her belly, chest, and head. It makes my body and lips buzz. Om, sang Anu as she danced around the room. Ah, buzzing. A very good observation, Apupa answered. Om is nature's very own vibration. It is the sound of the entire universe buzzing with life. That's what makes Om such a special mantra. I mm. love your your start of this book. Oh, my word. And it just <laughs> continues that beautifully throughout it's not I, I think i shared over social media the other day too this is not a book about like wow anu you're really having some inner conflict what you need is to calm down let me teach you this strategy it's it's a story about a child observing the world 
and and an elder, be it a a parent, an older sibling, or in this case, a, a grandparent, inviting the child in to to that space together, uh, and then the child exploring that that space within that she discovers. I think that that is a beautiful context to tell a story, and as a reader. Uh, who has not yet read this book in front of children, but as a reader, except for my own, I would say as a reader who who reads in bed to my kids, my five-year-old would not stop <laughs> saying, oh, every time we got to, she's also at five, you remember five, at five, she's yeah. starting to recognize words on the page. So whenever yeah. we see roar, she wants to roar. Whenever we see right. this, she wants to that. Um, and this was... This was a word that because it's capitalized and because it's bold on the page, she knew when we were coming to it. And by the end of this story, Rashmi, not even by the end, but by partway into this book, she was, Daddy, this is my turn. Now I get to say it. Um, right. And she was saying it. And that, that, that there is, there's magic there that, that you created. You wrote this book. You brought us all into this space with Apuvu. That's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. But, and I have to say, though, you know, though I guess I did write this book, um, I don't feel as though I created it. Um, this is so much a reflection of our lineage and our culture and philosophies. You know, I, I'd say the book actually starts the page before that on that beautiful yeah. illustration Morgan did where Anu's kind of looking upon Apupa as he's, as he's chanting and it's this I you know Morgan one of the reasons I was really attracted to her as an artist was I feel like her um her her illustrations really um emote like you can really feel the heartfelt quality and I feel like within that page it's like you just kind of see both the love and the curiosity that's right there as she She's watching her grandfather and yeah. knows many of our family members come and they'll say, you know, how many times have we seen this exact thing happening? You know, oh. where my dad would be. Like, <laughs> but you kind of, you know, as a kid, and I remember this as a kid too, you sort of get drawn in, you know, the, the, the language for, for, for me and for my girls, just um, also that language, the connection to Sanskrit, for example, it really helps them to form some kind of a connection too with part of their heritage and part of their ancestry you know and so it, it's that curiosity about that too and and yeah and it's just fun to say the word sometimes and that's part of the that's that's part of the uh, I guess science behind mantras as well is the the quality of sound and the vibrations and feeling that embodied sense of whatever the sound that ancient sound might be so sure um, I love yeah so I, I, I love that you you really appreciate that and and yeah like I think you know throughout this book this beginning part, of course, as well, um, you know, it, it really just comes from not only what I remember as a child, but also from my experiences parenting my children and seeing them with my dad as, as we were all kind of co-teaching um, mm. around a lot of these different from our culture. Yeah. Well, on that image, Abuba is 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 meditating and she Anu is like you can feel her like pressing against the wall the corner peeking around but his smile feels this is me probably just putting my own emotion onto it but it also feels like I know when I'm listening to something or I'm doing whatever eyes closed or not I know when I can feel like I'm being watched by little eyes 
And there's sort, of a, there's sort of a delight in that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so oh, and my dad, dad loved that. What I, what I didn't share was um, actually the last year of my father's life, um, my girls and I ended up moving in here with my mom and dad because he was really struggling through his, um, he had cancer and was really kind of going through some tough time. And so we kind of moved in. Uh, it just happened to coordinate with our um with different things that were happening. My husband was working abroad and we were able to have this time to be here with them, which um, was so special for me, for my girls, and so special for my dad because that was the first time where he really was with them day in and day out. Oh. And that bit of time, inevitably, you know, whether he, he, he would meditate twice a day and either in the morning or, or in the evening, you know, it was like a magnet. They were just sort of drawn to him and, and he loved it because he knew like one of them would sit in, in his lap and start asking questions or or whatever that was. It was just this beautiful opportunity for them to bond um, and for him for him to really kind of also share the wisdom that he has about not only our culture and philosophies, um, but also these ways that he takes care of himself and for him to be able to share that um, his spiritual practices with them, I think was was so special. And, and that's really part of what this book was about is to show how um, these practices of meditation can also be this thing that you can do together as families. And, and maybe there are ways that you already, the kids who, who aren't from a Hindu background or a South Asian background might already be connecting to their um, spiritual practices or um, to each other in different ways. And so that's really what I hope um, this book sort of also gets kids thinking about, you know, so this is, this is how Anu's family might be connecting with it. What are some ways that, that my family might already be kind of connecting with these elements of mindfulness and meditation in our daily lives? Well, we get to follow Anu's family throughout the house. We get to follow um, Apuba throughout the, his rituals. And, and just for both of them, we get to see, the house we get to see these details and i i thought i would ask you about knowing that there's great intention in how uh, everything is depicted in this book even just starting from that that opening page oh i should ask the the dedication th that's your dad's name isn't it yeah yeah that's so yeah. sweet thank you for sharing him with us in that way that's a very personal thing yeah. to do thank you yeah. well um let me ask then about about what what details you wanted to make sure Morgan brought to the page, or maybe these are things she found from photos, or or I don't know what. But for those for those details that that some readers uh, might be unfamiliar with, can you walk us through what what making sure uh, these certain details were included were like? I'm thinking of things that like sure. I don't even have words for, as you can tell. Yeah. I'm like, these are beyond my experience. I'm seeing gold things hanging. I'm seeing um, a, a word I would call an altar, but I don't know that that's the right word. So I am I'm asking, if you don't mind, for you to uh, help me find the language to describe what I'm looking at here. Absolutely. So yeah, so on that, that first spread there, you see the prayer altar that's there and um, in our tradition, you know, the, the altar might have pictures of various gods and goddesses, also maybe pictures of ancestors might be there as well. And then also this connection to nature. So 
um, my dad had a huge garden, so he was always every day, you know, in the summertime especially, be picking nice pretty flowers that he could arrange there as well. You also see light, light, and candlelight is also very important. And um, what you see hanging there, actually, um, uh, hanging deepams are in our language of Malayalam called they're called velikas, which is um, a hanging oil lamp. So sometimes, well, those are just for decoration. I think my dad's uh, fears about fire safety would never <laughs> like the hanging one in the house. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, um, and then you you even see him wearing different clothes. So he's wearing um, a, a jubba, which is a kurta top, and um, he's wearing a lungi or a munda in South India. Um, a lot of men wear, uh, I guess it's like a sarong, um, you know, because it's so hot and humid. And yeah. so it's quite mm-hmm. comfortable to, to wear something like that. And for my dad, whenever he was home, and especially, you know, uh, after shower or when he's going to pray, he he might wear a munda to do that because of comfort, but also I think tradition as well. And you see the the actual color and style of it, where there's it's cream with that gold border, is um, very specific to Kerala. Um, it's called kasava uh, munda, where it's a gold thread that that lines it and it's this beautiful soft cotton cream colored mm. cotton cloth and in his hands he's holding arudraksha um, mala mala means a beaded necklace and I think a, a lot of people perhaps might be familiar with malas because they're used a lot now or associated with yoga and such and traditionally malas um, w- would be used for meditation my dad's ones that he have are made of what are called rudraksha beads. They're special, um, they're special kind of nuts, I think, that from a specific tree um, that are meant to be quite sacred and have a certain energetic quality. And so he would use that to pray with. And so it was always very special when the, one of the girls would get to wear his mala or do something with his mala. Um, they they just loved that. I think probably because of they've always seen him with it. But you know, perhaps there's a special energy there. It's something that he's always used to pray with. And so, so yeah. So you see him sitting sitting there with with his traditional dress on and that rudraksha mala as he's praying and we get to see more of that as the spreads continue um and then going on i I think there's even uh so um there's an image of one of our goddesses lakshmi yeah i saw lakshmi was on there (laughs) standing on the lotus lakshmi is the goddess of um of uh, beauty and grace and good fortune and caring and love. And um, so we actually carried forth that kind of imagery towards the end where um, when Anu is sort of really experiencing that sense of her true nature um, and that sense of peace and aliveness that's there, you see her in a lotus flower as she's feeling full of love as well. So we kind of tried to carry that element over too. Um, and yeah, and as the book goes on, um, I think, you know, another little curious part is when Apupa changes out of his mundu and we see him in his home office and he's got pants, pants on, pants and his white socks. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like an awesome right. chalkboard in his house. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's... Um, 
every child. He is automatically the fan of every grandchild because they get to draw on his right. walls. <laughs> so that the chalkboard wasn't there, but it was a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. The chalkboard just looked really pretty in the spread. But anyway, yeah, so my, you know, the traditional dress he might wear in those times, for example, when he is praying or, or doing something like that. Um, but then, you know, it, it wouldn't be something he'd wear all the time because he's also um, doing other things, going to work or, you know, whatever that is, avid tennis player. And so, you know, he would change his clothes. So he's got his pants on there. And then in, in the office, there's all sorts of little, little things in there. I mentioned the tennis. So there's the tennis rackets and, um, there's a periodic table of elements in there because my dad was a chemist. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and on his desk, too, you see a little dancer doll there. Um, my dad was also really uh, one of his most beloved pastimes was watching our traditional dance forms um, and listening to classical music. And his favorite dance art from Kerala is called Kathakali. And so that's a little we had a lot of images of Kathakali dancers and all of that in our house. So that's a little dancer doll um that's there that that again gets repeated in the end, end notes as the dog is playing with that kathakali dancer yes. later on <laughs> hey rashmi on the on the next page from where you are um yeah the grandfather's talking to anu saying stay curious and confident trust what you mm -hmm. uncover there are many ways to explore with um and i wanted to ask you because it's a symbol that looks familiar to me but but I wanted to have you share with me, what does the symbol mean that as he is saying, pause to fill your body, breathe and mind, allow the mantra Om to be held softly in your heart. There's a symbol that appears on his chest that glows that later in the book, um, Anu is also, uh, also shown with that symbol. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so that's the Sanskrit written script for the syllable Om. So that's what Om looks like when you write in, in Sanskrit. In Sanskrit, um, and so yeah, and I think that's included in the glossary as well in the back. And I wanted to be sure to include include that because it might be an image that other kids have seen in different contexts. Because of course, the Om symbol has now also. Um, uh, become commercialized a little bit, right? You might see T-shirts and mm -hmm. also things, different places where you might catch the Ohm symbol. So, um, so I wanted to be sure to include that there as well. To bring it back that way, I think that there's so many details here that I, again, I know are intentional. One of my favorite moments in the book is toward the end, after Anu has found has found her Ohm, has found how to <laughs> I love that we have like a moment where she's she's distracted her thoughts keep going to where are they to like ice cream or to the pencil case or to do I flush the toilet <laughs> my youngest Priyanka she was around five or six when I was writing this <laughs> these were like some real thoughts <laughs> these are real thoughts we got on paper real own voices five-year-old own voices yeah. <laughs> very different form of own voices <laughs> and, and so much of the book includes their direct reflections. When we meditate together as a family, we will often share and discuss our experiences as part of the process. You know, for um, I think you had mentioned this a little bit earlier about how the book is not necessarily meditation and mindfulness to cure something, but meditation and mindfulness for the pure joy of that and the curiosity and wonder of that. Um, and that's really, you know, 
something will at least for me, from my direct experience, um, growing up in a Hindu household, South Asian household, um, a lot of the the philosophy around, you know, why we practice these things, part of it is, of course, the self-care and the nourishment that comes from connecting with ourselves and wholeness, but also um, the space for inquiry that that can provide. So to notice and notice what's unfolding. And so a lot of... Um, so after, after we practice together, we'll often discuss just so that the kids can really then reflect and think about what they did notice. What did they notice in their body? What did they notice going on in their mind or their heart? So actually, a lot of the descriptions here are direct things that both of them have shared with me um, over the years, you know, and particularly uh, that um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but kind of that I call this the the samadhi spread, samadhi in yoga is that kind of space of true integration and feeling that interconnectedness and, and unity. And um, here, you know, these are were Priyanka's direct words for how she feels when she is experiencing that. It's like she's happy, she's relaxed, like she doesn't need to do anything at all, but at the same time, she feels like she can do anything and everything, you know, so it's this perfect mix of peace and calm, but also all this potential and aliveness. So um, a lot of a lot of them within this book as well. Like I've just learned so much from being a mom and from them. <laughs> you know, you, you think you could you might know a lot about these practices, you know, just intellectually and academically. And then from working with patients as well, of course, I learned so much. But then when you're actually living and engaging with it every day with your kids, um, there's a different, uh, different things come alive for you in different, in different ways. So I really appreciated that. Well, to have that page of peace and courage and creativity and love um, and to see Anu in these different outfits as well, to see her hair done differently, to see that <laughs> flower pin everywhere, I, I, I felt like was, um, was a wonderful chance for us to just see her beyond this day or this the 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 moment that the book um takes up i think that yeah i just think cover to cover it's a beautiful book i think you and the team did a wonderful thing and i i i know you've affirmed that throughout that it it took a team as it does i think with every book it takes a team to make this what it is and i'm glad that that you all as a team brought this story to what it is because i i think that I think that it's wonderful. I don't, you said this earlier, but I do not think there's too many words. I think it reads so flowingly, <laughs> so effortlessly that I I wouldn't be surprised if reading to children that, that they actually close their eyes at some points while you're reading. Because I think that there are cues that the art gives them. Often I think when I'm reading to children, I watch and they tend to mirror posturing of the character's if and when characters are are shown in sort of just the right illustration. And there's many illustrations here where Anu is is sort of framed as the focal point of the art on that spread. And so I, I would imagine you, you will have a good number of readers that will start, you know, uh, adjusting their bodies to to sort of m mimic and, and channel what, Anu's experiences in the story. There are things like that going on that I, I just 
thought were really beautiful, really. really well done. The, inviting the embodiment of it. There you go. Inviting yeah. the embodiment of it. Yeah. Which is, I, I think that uh, I've seen it happen in other picture books as well, where you are inviting a child to explore emotion or to explore empathy or to explore whatever it is that if a, if the art is done in the right way and if the pacing of the words are done in the right way you do save that space for children to to mirror what the characters are doing and it's beautiful and then also hopefully for them to really get curious about what what's happening for them too you know like as I'm looking at this page with Anu listening to her body and is it still buzzing you know, I, I can't wait to do in-person readings with kids because I you know, these are the moments that I love is getting curious with them, you know, you know, as you're sitting with yourself, what might you be noticing too? You know, there's all these little opportunities, I think, within the book that I, I really hope that children and their caregivers can really kind of connect around. Yeah. Rashmi, I'm grateful for this opportunity that we've had to spend time together. Thank you so much for your generosity of time and of thought and, and just everything you shared with us today. Thank you. And we didn't even get to talk about the curriculum guide. We oh, my to... word. There's a curriculum guide. We will link it in the show notes. Do you want to talk briefly yeah. about it? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so the curriculum guide actually expands upon the meditation practices that are in the book um, and offers a little bit more detail about meditation and different styles of meditation. So um, there are so many different styles across different traditions. And the guide kind of walks you through um both focused attention practices as well as more open awareness type practices. And along the way, after each practice, there's um, ways for children and families to reflect upon their experience as well. Um, and of course, we can meditate while sitting. We can meditate while moving. So there's an invitation to moving meditation practices. Um, and then another really important component of the guide um, is a section that's there about cultural appropriation versus appreciation, specifically around the symbol of Om. And I feel really fortunate that we were able to have um, Archa Srivastav from The Little Feminist, who I know she's been on your I podcast them, before yeah. too. <laughs> she's brilliant. I had so much fun with her um, working on this curriculum guide, and she really has helped to craft a beautiful section that um, gives a little bit more information about OM, about the symbol OM. So here in the book, I've, I've uh, depicted the, the most common commonly seen form of Om, which is in that Sanskrit script. But actually, you know, there's so many different languages across South Asia. And so as and each of those languages actually have their own script as well. So the Tamil script or the Malayalam script for Om looks a little different. So you can kind of see the variety there. Um, and then we kind of go into, um, you know, what what are some appropriate ways to um use the symbol om and, and what are some ways that maybe aren't as respectful and so we go on throughout the the guide to sort of explore that a little bit and leave prompts for kids to have discussions with um with their caregivers around some of that as well so i'm really excited about that so you're saying you've made an om or um section <laughs> <laughs> um i don't think that's the right place to use that <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I couldn't keep it in my brain. Yeah. I this is wonderful. I'm so glad that you all have made such 
it sounds like thoughtful resources to accompany this book and to allow uh, even deeper engagement uh, and connection with it. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yes, absolutely. And I, I really do hope too, you know, especially with, and the guide is available for free, by the way, for anyone who's interested in that. Um, you know, one, one another one of my intentions is to kind of also just demystify um, some of these traditions. I think there can be a lot of fear around them or even fear, for example, around what OM might mean. And so I'm, one of my hopes is that with the book and the guide as well, that um, it can just bring a little bit more um, understanding of, of different philosophies and different traditions as well. I think that it's great for us to be curious, but when we come in seeking understanding and seeking to respect uh, and to appreciate, that, that is the, that's the place where we want to be inhabiting. So thank you for helping us to do that. Thank you. All right. Well, I, we have so we could do another three <laughs> podcast episodes, which we might in the future. But for now, let me bring you to our readers. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning, Rashmi. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I hear you ask this question to, to people on your podcast all the time. And I, you know, usually I would, was listening to podcasts as I was driving um, in the car and I'd always think about, oh, what would I say if I were ever had the good fortune of being invited to the podcast? And of course, every time it's so many different things because there's so much you can share, but I'm going to share with your readers the same thing that I tell my kids all the time, that all of you are full of brilliance and each one of you, like you, like you might read with Anu, has a universe of possibilities inside. And when we let ourselves just get a little curious about this inner universe and maybe pay attention with kindness and care, like Apupa says in the book, you know, it just allows us that space to keep uncovering all that brilliance that's right here and all around us. And I can't wait to hear everything that all of you are learning and uncovering one day soon when we can do in-person visits and I can read to you all in person. So thank you. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast.
Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.